Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Welcome to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Uh, my name is David Dylan Thomas, and that quote was from uh, Men in Black. And it is kind of a good intro to today's topic, which is one of the uh, big old granddaddy of uh, cognitive biases, and that's the confirmation bias. Uh, this one is a monster. I, I would call it my second scariest cognitive bias because the impact it's having today. We'll get to my scariest one I've found so far in a few uh, episodes later, but uh, for now, this is, consider this lieutenant, the, um, <laughs> uh, definitely one of the worst. So uh, confirmation bias is probably the one you're most familiar with. It's kind of, you know, been in the news for a while. Kind of the low-hanging fruit example is we only ever seek out information that confirms our point of view. We never really seek out information that uh, denies it. Um, and it turns out it's even worse than that. But the kind of... Um, Facebook bubble is kind of the example uh, du jour, the idea that we just sort of use our Facebook feeds to um, only serve up and look for the uh, news or facts or alternative facts, if you will, that support our own point of view, the things that we've already believed are true. We just look for stuff to confirm it. Um, and uh, to uh, quote uh, Sherlock Holmes, it's about uh, finding facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. Um, a really good and kind of scary example is if you go back to the weapons of mass destruction issue, um, the justification for going to war in Iraq, hey, they've got weapons of mass destruction, we need to get them before they get us. Turns out there weren't any, but lots and lots of people believed that there were weapons of mass destruction, even after more and more evidence came out that there wasn't, even after George W. Bush himself said, yeah, look, they're not really there. Turns out even more people believed after that that there were, in fact, weapons of mass destruction. Um, this is called the backfire effect, um, and it's where, like, you really, really believe something, you see evidence that goes against it, and you come out of that believing it even more. Your, your opinions are even more extreme. Um, so this is how dedicated we are. And this is part of the reason that during the 2016 election, there were so many facts, so many things that came out. Um, and uh, really, I'll say on both sides of the issue, right, that would sort of, uh, you know, um, point out that, you know, Trump or Clinton were not good candidates, right? Um, and no one really ever was convinced by that. No one ever looked at something about Clinton's emails going in thinking they wanted her to be president and said, oh, emails, no, I want out. Or would look at Trump's too many to list facts <laughs> against him. And if they went in believing Trump, they came out saying, oh, oh, you didn't tell me about that. Okay, you're right. I don't want to vote for him. No, they came out saying, no, I don't care. Or no, hey, actually, I think that's a good thing. I'm going to vote for Trump or I'm going to vote for Clinton. And that's typical, right? It was ex very extreme in this past election. But that's just typical of how we approach facts when we've already made up our mind. We kind of don't care. It's kind of too late at that point to introduce facts. That, that, that's just not what sways us. Um... And the fact is you can expose people, and they've shown this in study after study, but you can expose people to the exact same evidence and they'll come out even more convinced of their own beliefs. 
Um, and this also obviously is a big issue with the news. There are certain narratives that the news kind of uh, proliferates and kind of buys into and even unintentionally or unconsciously kind of keep following. And you'll see this with patterns in how um, the news covers um, shootings of black men by police. Um, there is very often a question asked around, you know, just how bad was the black guy, right? Did he have a record? Was it a violent record, right? They sort of look for justification for the shooting because the narrative underlying, the belief that is being confirmed is that uh, shootings by officers are always valid, right? There has to be a reason that this officer shot this black man other than he was black. So we're going to look for that, and we're not going to ask questions around the other. Um, and that's starting to shift maybe a little, but not much, actually, because if you look at the sort of coverage and the questions that are asked, they're usually much more around the record of the black man and not the record of the police officer. Um, uh, another interesting experiment around this while we're talking on that topic is O.J. Simpson. Now, this is an interesting case where our memory will be subject to confirmation bias. So they did an experiment where they sort of asked a bunch of people after the O.J. verdict came out, hey, did you think he was guilty? Um, and people's opinions changed over time, generally swaying from, you know, I thought he was uh, innocent at the time to years later, I thought he was guilty. But when they would ask them years later, right, the same people, hey, now do you believe that he is guilty? They may say yes, but they'll say, hey, at the time, did you believe he was guilty? They'll actually change their answer, right? And, and not because they're trying to be deceptive, because they literally remember it differently. Like we cannot, we've talked before about how you can't really trust your memory. This is one of those examples. Confirmation bias can affect your actual memory of how you felt at the time, what you believed at the time. And there's lots of different studies uh, around, you know, the emotions you felt after a loss a few months out versus years later. You'll change your answer to how you feel now um, and say that was actually how you felt then. So it's really pernicious, right? Um, and we've known about this bias for a very, very long time. Francis Bacon wrote about it, right? This is in the 1500s, 1600s. He writes... There's a quote from him. The human understanding, when it has once adopted an opinion, draws all things else to support and agree with it. And though there, is, there, though there be a greater number and weight of instances to be found on the other side, yet these it either neglects or despises or else by some distinction sets aside or rejects. And that's true, right? Like if you are in favor of the death penalty and I show you all this evidence that says, oh, well, actually it costs more or it doesn't reduce crime or it increases crime or whatever, if you've already made up your mind, odds are you'll say, mm, that study sounds flawed to me or mm, I think your uh, sources are biased. You'll find some reason to believe, to continue to believe what you already believe. Um, part of the reason we do this is we fail to ask the opposite question. So if in our minds we've already decided something is true, we will look for evidence and we'll ask questions, right, that support that point of view. So, and, and then we'll rarely ask the opposite question and say, well, if this weren't true, um, what would be the case? Like, what could I look for to find out if this weren't true? We, we just tend not to do that. So a really good experiment around this is if I told you, okay, um, here is a pattern of numbers. I want you to tell me what the pattern is. Two, four, six. And you were, might answer... Uh, okay, I think it's each number is two greater than the last one. Um, and I might say, is that your final answer? Uh, odds are you'll stop there and say, yeah, that's my final answer, and I'll give you an answer. Um, and I'll say, no, it's just numbers that are higher than the number before them. It has nothing to do with even or odd numbers. It's, but you didn't check, right? You didn't test to say, well, maybe it's just numbers that are just one higher, right? 
um, you, you didn't test anything other than what you originally guessed because the, the guess made sense to you and it fit the evidence that you saw, but you didn't look for any alternative theories. This happens in court cases. This happens in science. It's part of the reason why um, we actually invented a method called the scientific method to fight this bias because in discovery, in medicine, if you get this bias wrong, you could kill somebody. <laughs> so we developed things like um, the scientific method, which a lot of us think the scientific method is about saying, hey, I've got this theory. Let's see if this theory is right. Um, if we're right, great. Write that down. It's a law now. Let's move on to the next theory. When in fact, it's kind of the opposite. Like true scientific method is saying, okay, here's this idea. Now let me do everything I can to prove it wrong. If I've exhausted all of the methods to prove it wrong, we're going to assume it's actually true and until we can prove it wrong, right? That's the perspective. That's the actual search for knowledge and for truth is this constant state of trying to disprove things. Um, and that's how we get sort of very reliable, right, repeatable um, laws and theories that we can use to build things like rockets, you know, or, or create medicine that doesn't kill you. Um, it's by really trying hard to find out if we're wrong as opposed to trying really hard to find out if we're right. Um, so this is something that I've, you know, kind of tried to apply in my own life. Um, you know, I, I, as soon as I kind of under, had this better, clearer understanding of what scientific method was and what it was trying to do to, co to combat cognitive bias or confirmation bias, I started to ask myself, okay, what are the things that I'm absolutely 100% sure are true? What would be true if I was wrong, right? Um, and currently, that's around Donald Trump, right? I'm pretty well convinced he is ruinous, right? So let me ask the opposite question. If he weren't ruinous, if he were actually good for this country, what would be true, right? And I would look at things like improved living conditions for all people. I would look at an increased better economy. I would look at all sorts of things that I could plausibly attribute to a sitting president, which is in and of itself kind of an interesting challenge. But... Uh, and so far, I haven't found those things, but I'm continuing to ask those questions because I don't want to just hate Trump because I hate Trump, right? I want to be sure, right? I want to be sure that the energy I'm investing in, you know, sort of opposing his policies and sort of, you know, or the, the emotion that I have around him is in fact coming from a real place and not just prejudicial, right? Um, because then I would be like him looking at all Muslims and saying, oh, because they are Muslim, therefore they are evil, Right. He is obviously not asking the question, well, if I'm wrong and not all Muslims are evil, what would be true? I would start looking for Muslims who are not evil, and he's really not doing that. So I don't want to be guilty of the thing I think he's guilty of. Let's put it that way. But confirmation bias, in any case, is really, really kind of terrible. Um, and uh, the other sort of, I say it's like the scary one. Part of the reason it's scary is you can't educate your way out of it, right? Being smart doesn't save you. They've looked uh, at studies where they've looked at people of... Basically, they used an IQ test to sort of, you know, sort people and give them the same kind of confirmation bias tests, and they all came out with a bias, right? Confirmation, being smart doesn't change whether or not you're going to have confirmation bias. The only things that tend to influence it are basically your confidence level. You tend to be more open to looking for um, alternative evidence if you are just generally a confident person overall, which kind of makes sense, right? If you're kind of insecure, you're going to be feel really scared and challenged when someone says, well, here's a fact that doesn't suit your theory, right? Uh, and you'll tend to avoid looking for those kind of situations or looking for those kind of facts. In fact, they've done experiments where they look at, they put you in a functional MRI and they sort of show you situations where your favorite political candidate um, 
does something or says something that's contradictory, right, to your beliefs about them or something they've done in the past. And the part of your brain that lights up when you're confronted with that is an emotional center, right? It's not something intellectual you're dealing with. It's something emotional you're trying to work through. Um, so confirmation bias is a lot about your emotional reactions to things as opposed to actually trying to figure something out rationally, which makes perfect sense, right? Um, so another thing that kind of can help here is the ability to hold multiple points of view at the same time, right? And, and it kind of gets at why confirmation bias exists in the first place and is so pernicious is because thinking is hard, right? Information processing is hard, and we are forced day-to-day to process lots and lots and lots and lots of it. It is way easier to simply come up with a theory of the way the world works and how things should be and just stick to it regardless of what comes at you than to keep having to shift your beliefs every time you come up with the new fact or come across something that contradicts them. It's a very difficult way to live. So, of course, if we find something that we like as a belief, we are going to stick to it as hard as we can because the alternative is so scary and difficult. That having been said, I think we have to be very careful about which biases we choose to confirm, right? Uh, Because we can get into a lot of trouble. We can end up with a country of people who are extremely polarized. There's actually something called the polarization effect, which is the child of confirmation bias. It basically says that when you are confronted with evidence, you go even further down a rabbit hole um, uh, than you would uh, otherwise. Um, Or even just thinking about the thing that you believe can make you believe it even stronger regardless of evidence. So we're going to have to figure out a way to get good at and comfortable with holding different points of view at the same time and be comfortable with the idea that it's a good thing to actively try to disprove the thing that you are so very convinced of, if only to reassure yourself that this is in fact the thing that you should be committing to. It's difficult, it's hard, but the alternative is the country that we see now, (laughs) which I don't think anyone is super happy with. So, um, uh, I know this was a tough episode. Thanks for bearing with me. This is, like I said, one of the hardest and most difficult biases to think or do anything about, but it's important to confront. It's important to think about and, uh, let's support each other in trying to get through it. Uh, that's all for the cognitive bias, uh, podcast, uh, this week. And I will talk to you next time. I am David Dylan Thomas. See ya.